Hello and welcome to the Marvin Tila podcast. I'm a jazz composition student at the Berklee College of Music, and I've recently begun a podcast interviewing various musicians and artists. My goal is to allow these guests to tell their story, both from a biographical standpoint and from an artistic one. I hope that these conversations will prove useful to aspiring artists such as myself in our respective journeys. My first guest is multi-instrumentalist John Lee, a prodigiously talented jazz musician who I had the privilege to study with years ago. He was the recipient of the Slate Scholarship, an award which gave him full tuition, housing, and food for his entire studies at the Berklee College of Music in Boston. This is the first part of our conversation, going over most of his life up to that point. I hope you enjoy. Is that a, that's an ARA? Uh, Macro Pro that's 2018, a, I think. Is that what they gave you there? Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. That, that was, uh, man, it's, you know, it's so funny because the, I remember, because, you know, man, like when I won Slate, I was like 16, you know, I was like super young. And I turned 17 that summer and went. And it's really funny because the most, the thing that I was like most excited about, I remember going there was getting the laptop. Because <laughs> I had no idea what I just won. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had no idea what, what you know, the, 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 the scale of what, what, you know, how lucky I was to get that scholarship. That I was just thinking like, you know, like the days before I went to Berkeley, I remember just being like, oh my God. 2010 MacBook Pro. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> like that was like the only thing that was on my mind, man. My mom's friend, a longtime friend of hers, like a business partner, okay. who's actually an amateur jazz guitar player in in Japan. Oh. He obviously, you know, loved jazz, and uh, whenever they would do business trips, they would always stop in New York and go and do, you know, uh, go watch shows and and whatnot. So when I was like around, probably around eight or ten, like somewhere between there, mm-hmm. uh, he sent us a box of CDs, like twenty-five CDs of what he believed, and it is, but he what he believed to be probably like the twenty-five most essential jazz CDs, like of all time. Wow. So this included everything, like it included <laughs> you know, kind of blue and uh, relaxing with the Miles Davis quintet. Six pieces of silver. So there was like Horace Silver records in there. There was Miles records in there. There was some like Ron Carter like duo stuff with uh, with like Archie Shep and there there was like a whole bunch of things in there. And like this is of course before I even played drums, but there was also like Papa Joe Jones records in there. There was like, were you like immediately taken by jazz or did it take a little while to settle? No, in? no, no, no. I wasn't taken by it at all, really. <laughs> it was just something that was playing around the house. But I will say, um well, you know, continuing on sort of with what, you know, my musical development, like I went to my first like Van Halen concert when I was twelve. Uh-huh. And that made me want to play electric guitar as well. So then I like kind of switched over to electric guitar. So as you can see, even at the beginning of my life, there was a lot of multi-instrumental, like I was taking piano lessons throughout this whole thing, mm-hmm. took some like electric bass lessons, but mostly just like self-taught. And, you know, now it's like playing guitar. So like it was just sort of happening through my own interest, essentially, you know, sure. just like getting into this and that. Um, but it was really ultimately like my brother who was able to sort of get me into jazz. He was a huge part of that whole development. Now, I don't even know how he really knew 
about this stuff or maybe he didn't i don't know but like he was like the first he was the first person who showed me charlie parker he was the first person who showed me you know yes like sonny rollins um all of these things that like he was kind of into for some reason yeah like really i don't know i don't know why but i will say this even though i didn't end up pursuing jazz until like actually quite a bit later like if i actually like consider myself someone who's actually like pursuing jazz um we were singing like every solo off of some of these records by the time we were like 12 and we didn't even i didn't even know that this would even be a like a like any sort of help to what i would be in the like what i would end up doing in the future like at all you know uh because my brother was doing it he was like, I remember like he was able to sing like the first time I noticed this was that he was able to sing along to like all of Sonny's solo on Blue 7, I think it was. He could do it on all of those tunes, really. But it's sort of like, even though it wasn't this thing where it's like, yeah, if you want to be a great jazz musician, you should be able to like kind of do this, like regurgitate and, and bring out this. Uh, he was just doing it for fun. And because of that, I was sort of like, oh, man, like, I should be able to do that. Like, how can he remember all of these things? And, and like, you know, him showing me Charlie Parker for the first time. Like, I remember I remember the exact moment, too, like, when he showed me. He was like, man, like, check this out, man. This is, like, the fastest thing you'll ever hear in your life. <laughs> right? And and I, I clearly remember this. You know, there's a famous recording of Charlie Parker playing Anthropology. And mm-hmm. there's, like, the announcer in the beginning is like, Anthropology. And then they go into... You know, they go into this. And I literally remember, you know, and it's not like, I mean, it's it's fast tempo, but like it's nothing that, you know, you couldn't hear or so I thought. But I remember him playing that for me and it literally sounding like, like I actually remember that and being like, where's the tempo? Like, where is the time? It literally just sounds like he's playing like, and then, you know, on those old recordings, all you can hear is like bass drum kicks. And, like, you know, yeah. you can't even hear, like, details of ride cymbal or anything like that. So it just kind of sounds like they're playing the melody of the tune with, like, a bunch of these, like, random big bass drum kicks, like, kind of thrown in there and stuff. And I just remember being like, wow, like, I don't understand, like, what's going on in here at all. But it felt like he, like, did, you know? Right. right. I don't know why, but, like, you know, it felt like he did. It. Kind of curious. So when I got into high school, the three instruments that I was playing at the time, which were like drum, I'm sorry, which was guitar, bass, and piano, Mm -hmm. they didn't allow any of those instruments. Well, they allowed electric bass, but they were so full, there was already like nine electric bass players that would all play at the same time. Like, it was crazy. I remember like, there was like four amps and everyone's like trying to figure out who's going (laughs) into one amp, like two people in one amp and all this stuff, you know? Um, A lot of them are all actually guitar players. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there was no choice really because they didn't allow guitar the grade a concert band they didn't mm-hmm. allow bass because it was full up uh piano yeah no 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 really like so it's total happenstance that you end up doing drums exactly which is what i ended up pursuing in school that's right. like what i went to school for right so like i i fell in love with it really quickly you know even though drums was obviously like something that we were all sort of fascinated with because no one had a drum set growing up and mm-hmm. i remember just like a year or two before i went into high school my my cousin got a, a drum set and we would like go over to her house and like play her drums and stuff. Like, you know, like just, just being like, oh, and then my brother being like, once again, I don't know how my brother knew all these things, but I remember the first time I ever sat down at the drums, I was like, yeah, yeah, like, you know, <laughs> and, 
and and he was like john do this and like it, it, this is like a rock beat you know like do this with the hand and then i don't know where he knew all this stuff to be on i should ask him you know <laughs> yeah uh but he knew and 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 so we would mess around with it and and and, and at some points i feel like we even might have like jammed with her on drums and you know tried a couple of things here and there so obviously all the music that i was listening to as well they had drums like drums was like the cool sure. instrument that no one could afford you know what i mean like if you had a friend in a, when you're growing up if you had a friend who had a drum set it was like crazy yeah. you know that her parents would even let him and at least that's what it felt like at the time so when i went into high school the only thing that i thought in the band was a real instrument once again because i had no you know i wasn't interested in jazz at all but the only thing that i considered to be a real instrument that i could pursue was drums so I sort of fell into it like accidentally. Uh, is this the jazz band there or is this the concert? This band? is the concert band. So are you doing percussion then? Or yeah, is... like we're like doing snare drum and right. bass drum and four percussionists splitting parts. Mm-hmm. I, I even did some timpani, some basic timpani and whatever they needed or whatever, you know. Uh, but mostly like snare drum, you okay. know. So at that time I started to, because uh, I was sort of getting like serious with it or whatever. Oh, God, this could be a long story. But, yeah, like, you know, around that time is when I started taking drum lessons with somebody in Nanaimo uh, okay. who was very important, you know, to me and uh, still is, uh, uh, named James McRae. Okay. And he plays here sometimes. He plays kind of everywhere. But he has a long sort of standing in in um, in, in BC. Is this and, guy primarily a jazz drummer? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was, like, my first drum teacher okay uh-huh. and i remember the first lesson that i ever took with him i went in there and i was like teach me hoffer teacher by van <laughs> <laughs> teach me the drum intro to hoffer teacher uh and, and anyway so we, we we did our first drum lesson yeah i know man and then and then we did our first drum lesson and then he at the end of the drum lesson he was like hey check this out and right at the end of the drum lesson he played like a bossa nova uh-huh. And I immediately sort of knew right then and there that that is like what has been like missing in my life, like uh, uh-huh. which is sort of like this. I, I don't want to like you know I was like a classic music nerd kid, you know, like it was it was more complex than mm-hmm. anything I'd ever heard a drum set do in my life. Right. It sounded like four people doing different things at the same. You know what I mean? It didn't sound like this this thing where like these you know three voices like in a rock beat sort of just come together as this like one voice Mm -hmm. even though they are three different voices but there was something about the individuality of each limb doing something that made this like orchestral sort of sound that really got me interested in that so i was like oh man you gotta like teach me that or you know like whatever it was so like he was sort of converting me slowly into playing jazz drums now keep in mind that jazz is sort of already in my ear at this point I just couldn't, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I just couldn't really tie all that together. In fact, I don't even remember ever thinking that what I was listening to at home had any relevance to what we were doing there. Oh, like, you know okay. what I mean? Like, there yeah. was no, like, oh, nice. Like, this is going to let me do this. Like, no, like, this is just something that we have in our ear because their albums. I'm not even sure if I knew it was jazz. Right. It was right. just a music that we had in the house or whatever. Not knowing that he was sort of leading me into that way where, like, Mm -hmm. we might be, you know, that might come in handy one day doing what I'm doing now or whatever it was. So, 
I'll tell you something really funny is that as these kind of jazz drum studies continued, I'll tell you one really funny story is that uh, my dad would come and sort of like shadow these lessons. You know, oh, okay. he would come and like watch the lessons. And in fact, like he had some interest in just kind of trying some of these things himself too. Just because like he's there anyways and, and he wanted to watch the lessons and stuff. And I remember my dad telling me uh, there was this one lesson, which I also remember where James brought in a real snare drum because we were playing on electric drums because I was taking drums okay. lessons at a the music store. Exactly. Okay. Right. Yeah. So he brought like a real snare drum in and a pair of brushes. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, like we're going to like just like try some brush things. Like, have you ever seen these? And I was like, what, what are these? Like, and all this kind of stuff. And at, at one point in the lesson, you know, me and James are on the snare drum, like, like playing like a, like a squish pattern. Like we're like, we're like playing the, the snare drum, like mm-hmm. rubbing the brush. Like to my dad, like he's just kind of watching this happening, and I'm like, <laughs> and my dad was like, "What? The, what am I even paying this guy for? Like, what are we doing here right now?" Like, because my dad didn't know what brushes were, or that they were a significant part of, of the music at all. It just looked like James was a crazy person, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Because he was like, where, "Where are the sticks? Where's all the you know?" But I remember that being like a like a hilarious memory of uh, uh, what my dad told me later on, anyways, and being like, "Remember that lesson where you guys were playing brushes?" Like I was literally like, "Yeah, I guess it must have been weird too because it's just the snare drum, not it, the whole kid." Exactly. It's, yeah, it's like, just like, "What do we? What is the end goal of this? Really?" <laughs> you know. So. Through James, yeah. I sort of sort of got a chance to play my first jazz gig, which was mm-hmm. subbing for James. I was like 13 or something, like a super young, oh. like just starting to play drums and stuff. And it was with me and Phil Albert and, and Nico Rhodes, and we put at this little Mediterranean restaurant called Elios that's not there anymore. So that's where we first started. Uh, that's when I first started playing. But through that... I got involved with going, starting to go down to these weekly jam sessions that were held at a place. Also, that went through like seven name changes, but they all had jazz jam sessions. Um, but at the time, it was called the Red Room. Mm. The Red Room. So we were, uh, or Tanya's. It was actually called Tanya's, but there was like two halves of the restaurant, I think, called like Red Room is one half. And anyway, so um we would always go down to tanya's because nico was playing weekly there and he was like you guys have to come down to tanya's and there's like jam session there and stuff like that and when i would go down there the first generation of what is now called vancouver island university up in the nanaimo kind of like the first generation of the four-year program that had just kind of started there these students would come down and play wow right so there was a community of kind of young jazz musicians who were like trying to play there for sure and that was like my first experience of going weekly i went every week and just tried to sit in and i would sit in and i usually get to play multiple tunes and play with all these kind of guys from vancouver valley university you know with as far as the jazz scene thing though i will say that around that time people were not into playing i don't know if it was just like the era or something of like that specific era of of the nine jazz but sure. nobody was into playing swing oh. at all like there was there would always be this like one dude that we thought was like super creepy that would come down and call like having miss jones <laughs> and we'd all like make fun of him because <laughs> he's not calling like 
you know, I, we used to play like 500 miles high and red clay and recorder me and like all these tunes that were like straight anything that you could put a backbeat to and get away with <laughs> so just like bossa and then like funk yeah and like straight that. tunes yeah. and and things like that like our, our yeah we used to play a lot of those kind of tunes and that's really funny. i know and like you and it would be like super like it would be it would be like some saxophone player who would come down and say, hey, can we play like Happy Man, Miss Jones? Mm-hmm. And everyone would be like, oh man, like, I don't want to play on this one. Like, <laughs> you know, like someone would get up there like, oh yeah, yeah, like let's start playing. And then they're like, oh, you guys want to play like this swing tune? And they're like all distraught because it's like, oh man. It just felt like we could accomplish more and and just get to a higher level than we sure. could doing the other kind of and, music. And also the Vancouver Island, so they just started a jazz program around that time, and then those musicians were filtering in. And what age were you when you were interacting with those, maybe like... Like 13, 14. Hanging out with like 18, 19 Yes, yeah. Like, yeah, I've always been, you know, and especially those people happen to be the same age as like my brother and his friends, and I was close to them. And there were some ties between them and those kids too. Mm. It was kind of it's kind of hard to explain all the little you know how all the, the relationships whatnot, work, right, but yeah. yeah, like there was definitely an unwelcome a welcoming presence for me to be there. Like they were all very like supportive. Like whenever I would be there, they would all be like really happy that I I'm there like playing and stuff. And of course, very encouraging because I was so young. Sure, uh, I was so young, but I could still play. You know, I could like I could. I could play, you know, so like they were very encouraging, like, oh, John, you should play, you should play and all that kind of stuff, you know. Dad was the one that said, hey, like, listen, if you're really like serious about this jazz thing, I hear that the high school band program at this school called Wellington versus the school that I was going to call Woodlands. uh, Wellington has a legendary status like jazz program with a very dedicated teacher so my dad sort of gave me this like would you want to kind of like try moving there which was obviously for a grade 10 kid who had you know like a bunch of friends in at the school pretty hard decision to make but i was like somewhat mature enough to say this is what i want to do and let me see if i can uh get better at this whole jazz thing because i'm getting really interested at this point and when I went to Wellington, which is a whole other era of my life that's very important, uh, I had a great band teacher there named Carmela Luvisoto, who was, uh, she's an absolute genius. Like, she just knows how to, you know, she's not like the kind of, she's not really like, oh, yeah, like, check out these. She plays piano. Like, you know, like, guys, like, check out all this. Like, it's, it's not like that, you know. I, I don't even think a band teacher needs to be able to be that. You know, a good good high school band teacher just needs to make sure that she sets up the kids that sh- that they feel like have like a, a chance to really pursue this professionally to give them the most opportunity and the best chances possible for them to fall in love with the music. Right. That's it. I mean, that's all you can really do as like a high school band teacher. It's not like you're going to teach them how to like rip changes or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? That's not the time for that. It's. It's really more like to get them to be like, you can do this. She was also taking us to every possible high school festival ever or whatever. I remember this one year I won best senior drummer and best senior vibraphonist. Like I literally played vibraphone like that semester. Of course, there was probably only like three vibraphonists. I was actually competing for that. Or, um, 
But these things, you know, when when they have these festivals and you're all sitting in this auditorium together and they call up your name and you go up and accept this award, these kinds of this feeling is actually really important to sort of push musicians at that age just to like not like thinking about the deep future or anything, but just to be like, oh, man, like feels like I can do this. Um, You know, if if you were to quit music anyone really at any different levels but if you were to quit music it's a big kind of kick in the face to a lot of people who wish they could do what you do but you decide not to do it there's right. almost like this like a responsibility uh, exactly yeah, yeah yeah nothing that's like actually like you must but something that makes you sort of go like i feel like if there's anything that i can contribute in this world mm-hmm. while i'm here that is any sort of level of deep and meaningful is probably going to have to be this art or like whatever it is, you know, like you have to sort of offer the highest level of whatever you can do that's in your possibilities. Cause I was, I was really not like, I was like good at some things and stuff, but there was just nothing that came as naturally and something that was as part of my life as much as music. Right. Sure. So that was really like a huge part of, of that like whole development and, and, and just me wanting to pursue music at all. Okay, so now Berkeley and yeah. auditioning for that. All right. Oh my god, it's like my whole life here. All right, so uh, yeah, I'm trying to get through it kind of quick too. So, um, so Berkeley auditioning. Yeah, I I did what everyone else did. You know, we all went to Vancouver and did our audition. Do you remember like what pieces you selected or? Yeah, I do. I remember. I actually only remember one of them, but we played oh, Dig. Sure. Dig oh. by Miles Davis. Yeah, which is like a contrafact on uh, Sweet Georgia Brown. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because we were really into this, like, Ronnie Cuber version. We had a baritone saxophone player that was really close to that we were playing together. and uh, So you and a bunch of friends auditioned together? or They they just came with me for to, the audition, right. for the live audition, yeah. And, you know, um, with Slate Family Scholarship and all that, it's, it's, it's pretty random, you know? Like, they go around and select all the... Uh, they nominate, you get nominated. Anybody who even does an audition is up for the nomination mm-hmm. so we got no- i got nominated then they had me send a bunch of stuff in and then i found that i got it and it was like this like whole big thing or whatever yeah uh, let me just take a moment to explain that so the slate family scholarship is awarded to one canadian student a year f- uh, applying to berkeley yeah. and that's a full ride for the entire four years yeah, yeah. full ride everything yeah okay, it's I- supposed to be eight semesters eight semesters of tuition and eight semesters of housing and food. So everything's covered. Everything's covered. Yeah. 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 And so only one Canadian gets it every year. Right. So yeah, it was, it was pretty, but yeah, like I was saying before this interview, man, I had no idea the magnitude of that. I was just more excited about the free laptop that they were going to give me. (laughs) Like The 2010 MacBook pro. I was like, Oh my God. Like this is, this is, this is what I won. <laughs> like, like you know, it didn't feel like I won the scholarship to, you know, almost over $200,000 worth of scholarship money. But I was more excited about that MacBook. That 2010 <laughs> MacBook Pro, baby. 2010 MacBook Pro. You know. Uh, but yeah, so that, that was like the whole, you know, audition process. It, it, that was a really, like, it, it all went by so fast, man. Like, you audition, they nominate you. You send stuff in. I want it. 
and the next thing I knew, like I was there, my mom was like kind of prepping me to go to school, like move out there on my own and stuff, which was so scary at that time. I was like so young, man. Like I, I, I didn't really like want to go, like really. Had you traveled much at all or were you? In no, no, no. Like, you know, like, yeah, like, almost not at all. Like I, I, I would have taken like a handful of plane rides in my life, probably wow. few back from korea like I, I but only the last time i went back to korea which was like the only time i ever went back was when i was like 10 you know like i didn't do much traveling at all i went to like ottawa with you know with school band and things like that but no like nothing really so it was like just kind of scary like settling in you know my mom took me there just kind of got me all prepared we had a family friend there that my mom had known forever that was sort of a saving grace. Like she, she helped me throughout all the, uh, a lot of the, uh, some of the process of just kind of like settling in. But mm-hmm. like I remember, like after the first week of being there, just kind of like laying in my bed by myself, like in my dorm room, like super scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I felt like I wasn't really ready to leave home quite yet. It was still pretty early on yeah. in my life, right? Like I just felt like there was like a year that I was missing out on that everyone else got to do. You know, like I never got oh, yeah. to like drive in high school. <laughs> I never got to, you know, do certain things that maybe some other kids that were doing around me that sort of got to spend more time at home and all that stuff. But I just like sort of did what I was told, man. You know, I mean, it was, it was what it is. So then they flew me out to Toronto first. And then we, I remember we like bought a plane ticket for me to go there um a little bit later but then they wanted to do like a formal thing where i meet gary slate who is the guy who funds the so they flew me out to toronto a little bit earlier and um and there was like this kind of formal giving the scholarship kind of party thing with like food and drinks and i was there like by myself all it was like a really weird time, man. Yeah, yeah. it sounds completely surreal. Yeah, yeah, like like just because of what I was coming from. I was coming from very simple. I did all the stuff that any normal high school kid from BC would do. I was just like one of those kids, you know, that just happened to be in band and stuff. So like when I went to that, I knew that my life was like starting to like change drastically for mm-hmm. sure, you know. Or Gary Slate would come and like visit us in Boston, and we would all have we would all go to have to we would all go to lunch with him and 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 stuff. So we so we all knew about each other to a certain degree, and 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 it's pretty cool, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and Lucian Gray, who is a fantastic guitar player, who inspired me to like start playing jazz guitar too. Um, he was uh, very helpful and supportive when I first got there, and I would say was probably my sort of first ticket into playing with very high-level jazz musicians when I got to Berkeley right away, mm. like, without having to go through the, like sure. the steps. I was, the, I was, of course, the weakest, the weakest link in the chain. I'm talking just rusted up. It's just dissolving into nothing. You know, like, I was, like, the weakest in the chain for sure, but... He was so nice, man. He was so supportive. He was like, 
Oh, like, you know, like we would go to, two, you know, I live in 270. They, they would all come through and we'd all session together in, the, in that one in the basement, room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or it gets way too hot and it's sweating. Yo, that room is, has had so much DNA just <laughs> <laughs> running around in there. But for uh, those that don't know, that's like um, in the basement, there's all these practice rooms, like yeah. maybe 50 or 60 little piano yeah. rooms. And then there's one small, small yeah. little ensemble room, room where which I heard they don't have a grand piano in there anymore no it's an upright yeah now. they, they had have, a grand they did oh, yeah what? that was the only grand how did they fit a grand in there I don't yeah. know. no they did they did they did and in fact there's a lot of places man there's just a I don't know if you know about this there's like secret practice rooms you guys explore the whole yeah, building yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where you have to go through all the hallway and the the crazy man there's like a lot of little nook and cranny kind of situation happening in that door building eh? Yeah, 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 the yeah. secret practice rooms where they yeah. say it's haunted and lights yeah. just go supposedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I wish I could walk through that whole building once again, no, just it, to just to see the memories. It has such a culture and like yeah. atmosphere to it. It's yeah, like I, I swear to God, like all those practice rooms. I mean, I'm almost you know like almost emotional getting talking talking about it, but I feel like if I went down into that basement because mm. I lived there for a while, I lived there for year and a half or something I, I lived there for a bit like two years almost or something in 270 in that yeah. building if I went down into that basement and went through well, walked around this practice room I feel like I would be able to remember at least one like very deep memory oh, sure. of yeah. each individual practice rooms like with all my friends back then where I remember when I asked this guy about this and this one and I remember this is the room where like Sander used to always practice. This is his like room where, and this is the one where uh, I did some things that Berkeley probably doesn't want to know about. And, <laughs> you know, like, like I just, I feel like if I went down there, there would just be so many memories just like rushing through my brain because that was like such a, that was such an important part. Like, I mean, and you're going through it right now, which is really cool, you know, but that was like such an important part of my life, man. That because there were so many like high level musicians there all trying to do what you're doing and we're all friendly and we're all getting together and playing music and all that stuff like there's just nothing quite like that development process of just like putting the masters aside some of the masterful teachers that teach there but just the peers and just the community of like absolutely right i mean you learn more from them than you learn from teachers right because those are the